Father, we thank you uh, this morning that we, we know you are God. And uh, in a time and in a space in the world where so many things uh, try to tell us otherwise, we just stop down for a few moments and we kind of put our stake in the ground and we kind of say that uh, you are God be still and to know that. So we thank you, Father. We thank you that you are God in all the wonderful manifestations that the word tells us that you are God. We thank you. And Lord, we just stop for a moment to hear, to listen, you may want to speak through the body in the word picture, scripture, prophetic word, we just take a few moments to just stop and wait. anything just come to the microphones so uh, everyone can hear anyone feels they have a sense of that, they can just come to the microphone. be cast down. Lift up your eyes. I am the Lord your God. I am here to meet you where you are. I am your source. 
I come with healing in my wounds. I come with peace. I come with strength. I come that you might have life, that you might have life more abundant. I am the Lord your God. I am here for you. Reach out to me and allow me to meet you where you are. hearing this and the thoughts for your redemption, Lord, love. Anyone else? That's good. God is here, and he's saying, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Um, as we trust that, you know, God is speaking in those ways, um, it's pretty important stuff. It's important to, I mean, wouldn't it be terrible to come here thinking God wasn't here? What a waste of time that would be. Liz, you can turn me down just a bit. It's ringing up here. Thank you. You know, what a waste of time. <laughs> like, but you know what? Uh, it's pretty, uh, I'm more comfortable with the mic. It's pretty common that from what the week does to us sometimes, we can really walk in here with a sense that God's not here. Oh, he's here, but he's not going to do anything. And look at the week I had, and what can I expect? And it really can, a whole, uh, six days can really chop down the tree of expectation sometimes especially in the world that we're living in right now and with the things that are happening right now. So, you know, don't beat yourself up too badly because you're coming in and you're at a low ebb. That's okay because God is kind of saying, don't worry about it, I'm here. I'm here. And that word redemption is interesting because it means a deliverance from evil or a, de a deliverance from a, an evil situation or a hard or a dark uh, situation. And that really is kind of the theme of what the talk is about today too, um, which I think is really great when you have those little coincidences that, uh, that show up. But we have to understand that God is here and you don't necessarily have to feel him in order for him to be here. You don't, ex you don't have to be floating off your chair in some kind of ecstatic state to know that he's here. You don't have to have done some great phenomenal act this week for him to know that he is here and with you. He's saying, I'm here and I'm with you. Regardless, Jesus made that possible because everything that you might think would stop God from being with you, Jesus paid for on the cross. So there is absolutely nothing that we can say, nothing we can think, nothing we, that we can feel that can tell us that God is not with us. Because he said, I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. So that's a, a done deal. And they say, well, there's disobedience and there's all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it's a funny thing about that because scripture says that even if I make my bed in hell, you will be there. If I make it to the farthest reaches of the sea, you will be there. He's saying, wherever you are, guess what? There I am too. 
And what is his intention? Why is he with us? To redeem us. He is to redeem us from our broken human state. One day we will be totally redeemed. And we won't have to deal with all of this stuff anymore. But for now, we're in a broken body and in a broken world. And things happen. Stuff happens. And one of the beautiful things about church is that we're here and we're reminded that, guess what? It's not just stuff that rules. God also rules. God rules above the stuff and above everything, above the storm and above the flood. So God is encouraging us today. And that's a good thing because we will always need encouragement. You're not some kind of a failed saint because you need encouragement. Uh, We need it desperately. Every day, matter of fact, we need it. So scripture, we're going to talk about something really neat today. In quietness and in trust, this is a, a piece of scripture from Isaiah 30, 15, which has been just such a just such an important piece of scripture for me over the last year. And uh, I just want to take a look at it. Father, we just uh, pray right now and ask that you would come through your word. Your word is the final word. Your word is rock bottom. Your word is the anchor. Your word is truth. It is our truth. It is our protection. It is our strength. So, Father, when feelings fail us, when people fail us, when everything else fails us and we don't know what's going on, your word is never changing. So, Father, these scriptures that were written 3,000 years ago are as relevant today as they were when they were written. And you wrote them 3,000 years ago, knowing we'd be here talking about them today. So come, Holy Spirit, and bring the living word alive and let it be Rima to us this morning. Isaiah 30 and 15 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Well, there's a statement right there. Here's what the sovereign Lord says. It's not what the prophet says. It's what the sovereign Lord says. The Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. The backstory on this, this needs a backstory. Um, Judah had already seen that Israel, the northern kingdom, had been beaten up pretty bad by Assyria. And they had heard through the grapevine that Assyria was going to come and do the same thing to Judah. So they panicked. They panicked. And they sent some ambassadors down to Egypt to get some help from Egypt. And this is what the prophet said about that decision. Isaiah 30, 16 to 17. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. Because previously, the Lord is telling them, rest in me, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness, trust is your strength. So this is what God is saying to them. But they're saying, no, we will get our help from Egypt. We will, they will give us swift horses for riding into battle. I love the way God has a way with words and it's so poetic and almost ironic and sometimes even humorous. 
But the only swiftness you're going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee. You will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountain. That's pretty strong words. And they still persist in that. But this beautiful invitation that God gives them at the beginning, they just don't hear. God is always inviting us. He's always calling us. And he's saying, basically, he's saying, listen, I'll deliver you. You won't have to do a thing. He actually goes on and says, you won't have to fight. You won't have to do anything. A sword will not bring your victory. I will bring the victory. And it made me think, and that stuff preaches really well, but it's lived really hard, trusting God that way. But I said, Lord, was there and is there a, a, a modern example of this? You know, this is 3,000 years ago, and it can all be so theoretical. I said, what's a modern example of this? Something came to my mind. The miracle of Dunkirk. How many know about the Dunkirk miracle? A few people know about it. This is really interesting. Second World War, May 10th, 1940, Hitler had launched what was called the Blitzkrieg. And uh, a very effective military move. And he went into the Netherlands, through Belgium, through parts of France. And he went in a way that they weren't expecting, so they didn't have any protection. And very quickly, they just pushed right in and took the British troops and the Allied troops by surprise. If you, I should have, I, I don't know, there isn't a map there. But when you look at where that is, Belgium, and the Netherlands and France, and they're pushing westward, the Germans are pushing westward, well, what are they going to bump up against? The Channel, the English Channel. And that's what happened. Roughly 400,000 British and Allied troops were trapped at Dunkirk, which is a port city in northern France. Churchill uh, became Prime Minister of England just a few days before this happened. and. They put into action this plan, and it was basically it was first a one-day plan. And they were going to try to get those troops off the beach at Dunkirk. But Churchill said himself, he said, the most we're going to be able to get off that beach is twenty to thirty thousand men. There's almost four hundred thousand men on this beach. So very wisely, uh, King George who was the king at the time, said what we need to do is have a national day of prayer. And he got on the airwaves and to the whole British Empire, which was a lot bigger than it is now, and to the whole British Empire, he called for a day of prayer on May 26th. And uh, Liz, if you go to the, the first slides here, these are the troops that were on the beach. They were stuck on the beach. This is only part of them. Um, and as you can see, they're, they're like sitting ducks there on that beach. Um, but it's interesting to read about it. You can see it better here. There's a lot of men. And you see the ships out because the beach was so shallow, those big boats couldn't come in. 
they weren't able to come in. So these guys were just kind of stuck there. And uh, so the king calls for this day of prayer. And I, there's a picture here. This is going into Westminster Abbey on that day. The whole nation went to prayer. The whole empire uh, went to prayer. And then something very interesting happened. Um, the miracles and the first three miracles of Dunkirk. Um, as you saw, the soldiers were stuck on that beach. And Hitler was only 10 miles away. And he did something that they still don't understand today. He stopped the tanks. For three days, he stopped the tanks and stopped the forward motion of his, uh, of his army. What this did is it allowed the soldiers to get to Dunkirk because they were hightailing or away from the Germans and it gave them time to actually get to the beach. It also enabled them to build defenses over three days, and there was a lot of physical uh, like guns and all that kind of stuff that they had there. So they were able to very quickly build some defense against the Germans. But they still don't know why Hitler stopped. They don't know why. So, but what it did do, one of the theories is that the German Air Force said to Hitler, said, listen, we can take care of the beach. You use the tank somewhere else. The second miracle of Dunkirk happens. A storm broke over Flanders on, uh, uh, during that period, grounding the German Air Force. And that enabled them to stay on the beach. Now, there were still some that got through. There was a lot of, lot of people who died, and there were still casualties to what happened. But because those ships were way out, they needed smaller ships to come and get the soldiers off the beach and would take them out to these bigger boats. And this is the third miracle. For three days, the channel was, as they said, surprisingly, almost miraculously calm. So all those little boats, and I here's a picture of those little boats. These boats came from England. There was somewhere around 800 to 1,000 boats in total. Um, and they, they just went over and they started going and getting the soldiers off the beach. And uh, a lot of them were, the planes were still th getting through, the German planes, some of them. Um, but nothing compared to what would have been if the weather had not been the way it was. And the British Air Force was coming over and fighting also. So it allowed them to get into the boats and then get onto the bigger boats and head back. And what's so amazing about this is that what Churchill thought would be 20 to 30,000 people saved, 340,000 soldiers got off that beach. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And all these little boats came from, like they were just people's own personal boats. And they just came over sailboats, whatever they had, leisure boats. And it's an incredible miracle. And what's even more miraculous about this is that these soldiers that were on that beach were Britain's most experienced and well-trained soldiers. If they would have been annihilated, like there might have been able to get more allied troops and stuff, but the experience 
and the just the experience and the know-how of these men would have been lost. But what it did is when they got back to England, it just absolutely exploded the morale of the British people and of the Allied forces. I mean, when you look at this, this is miraculous. And uh, these soldiers would later go back to Europe and be the forces that actually defeat Hitler four years later. Sometimes you lose a battle, but you still win the war. Sometimes there's a reason. Like Churchill said, no war is won by retreat. This one was, was certainly part of it, that these, this retreat was strategic, this time of being stuck on that beach and wondering what's going on. And it, what was very interesting is they were talking, many of the, I did so much research on this over this week, reading different accounts of it, and many accounts of the soldiers, how calm they were and how quiet everything was. And there's planes, <laughs> like, coming along, but how calm. But it strikes me again that you may be in the middle of being on a beach spiritually. You may feel wide open to the enemy. You may feel like we ain't never going to get off this place. But the actual truth is that that may be part of the victory. So don't give up. Because God is the God of the flood. God of the battle. And this may have looked like a great failure, but in actuality, in whatever design it was, it saw fit to happen and that they were able to go back and they were stronger, they were encouraged. Nothing like God doing a miracle to make you feel like you can take over the world. And sometimes we need that. We need some miracles. <laughs> we really do. You probably all can think of some ways that God has miraculously stepped in and done something when you never thought he ever would. It's interesting. The news media at the time said to the Archbishop of Canterbury, said, you know, this might have been a coincidence. It's like the weather, Hitler stopping his troops, uh, the, the channel being calm. Might have been a coincidence. And I, I love what the archbishop said. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Beautiful, right? Call it coincidence. Call it whatever you want. Still God working in the favor of his plan and his purpose. And it's hard to make sense of it, isn't it? Because while this miracle is happening, there's still terrible things happening in the rest of Europe to the Jews and to the, the places that you know, Germany had already gone through. It, it, it's hard to understand, and it's a fool's errand to try to explain it. Because we just don't understand, but we should be thankful for the, the miracles that do happen. And that sometimes, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why the world hasn't come to a point of asking for prayer for COVID, but uh, they, I guess they just don't, I guess they're trusting in the, in the vaccine, which is great. I'm glad we've got science and I'm glad, but uh, I'll tell you, there's a point coming where we're going to have to ask God to intervene. Isaiah 30, 18 to 27, and that's exactly what God wants to do. As we go on here, we hear God say to these people that have chosen to try to get Egypt to help them instead of God, and 
And actually, if you read all of chapter 30, at one point, they're actually saying, we don't want to hear any more of these prophets. We don't want to hear them telling us what we should be doing. We know what we should be doing. We should be going to Egypt. We're going to rely on military, and we're not going to rely on God. Because probably they were thinking what everybody else might think in a situation, and you've thought it, and I've thought it, is God has abandoned us. If you've not had a time where you have not thought that God has abandoned you, boy, you've got some sweet Christianity going on. You've got some sweet boulevard of green lights going on in your life. Because if you haven't had that experience, you haven't been in real spiritual warfare. Because spiritual warfare can come and make that feel so absolutely real, can make it feel so absolutely forceful and true. Trust me. That's why you don't trust your emotions. You don't trust what's flying through your mind in the dark of the night. And that song that was being played said, uh, looking for the dawn of day in the dark of night. How many have done that? How many times have you in the middle of the night prayed saying, God, please? They weren't doing that. But yet, here's what the Lord says to them. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. Would that miracle of Dunkirk happened if that national day of prayer had not been called? I don't know. Well, you know, there's, uh, yeah, it's maybe not. We don't know. For the Lord is a faithful God. End of statement. For the Lord is a faithful God. He is faithful to you. He's faithful to me. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And that is never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to leave you on the beach. He'll send boats. He'll send destroyers. He'll send whatever he needs to. But he is not going to leave you on the beach of life. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Ah. What's the toughest word in that sentence? Wait. Oh, people of Zion, you, you can bet that those guys, though they were quiet on that beach, they were praying. There was a lot of prayer. There's probably more prayer going on on that beach than there was anywhere else. But they had to wait for the boats. And at the time, they saw the predicament. Remember, they didn't know what was going on. They don't have the communications that we have today. They saw the boats out there, not able to get in. They knew the beach was too shallow. So they're sitting there. Does anyone have an answer to this? Like, they're just sitting there waiting. They didn't know what was going on, that what was happening in England, that all these 800 to 1,000 boats were being organized and were on their way to get them on the beach. The boats are coming. The boats are coming. I'm believing for my boat, I'll tell you that. O oh, people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. There's one of those if promises. If you ask for help, he will surely respond to the sounds of your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink. Now, I'd like to take that sentence right out of there because it tells us that the Lord gave them adversity for food and, and suffering for drink. Now, we got to understand some things. We create a very Pollyanna idea of God sometimes. 
We create him purely as this benevolent Santa Claus that just is waiting for our beck and call. And the fact of the matter is, um, there's more to it than that. The Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink. Why would he do that? To teach, to trust, to make them turn to him. A and, and not because he wants to just, not because he, he just wants to see what's going to happen. Let's give them some adversity and see what's going to happen as if heaven's up there just looking at it like a football game. He's doing it because he wants to teach them something. Not only that they can trust him, but that he is a good God, that he is a faithful God. Because what happens, unfortunately, when life is going very well for us, it was in, e in Israel and it is today in the West, as we became more and more prosperous, more and more affluent, more and more able to have our RRSPs and have enough a full fridge and, and everything. I remember uh, when a lot of the uh, refugees and immigrants were coming here and there were some prayer meetings starting and nobody was showing up. Nobody was showing up. And uh, I was standing right there and I said, where, are, where is everybody? And the person I was talking to said, they have a full fridge now. A full fridge. And I went, in Africa, how many know that you don't have a full fridge a lot of the time? That it's a daily thing. Not all of Africa, but there is cir cir uh, circumstances where you're getting your food pretty well every day, every couple of days. And there's sometimes that your neighbor gives you your food. Cuba, same thing. But they said they have a full fridge. Don't need God anymore. And in the West, when you see how we've become so affluent, the more affluent we become, the less dependent on God we become. And God seeps out of our culture like water evaporating on the grass. It just slowly happens. And so God is saying he does it to remind us that he's there because really, if we don't, if we're not reminded, we will forget. And then when we really need that, that experience of being in relationship with God, hearing God, knowing God, trusting God, we won't have it. So it's, a, it's, it's mercy in, in action. He will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. That's a beautiful thing. That God is, that's what his desire is, to say to you and I, as we're walking, and he's behind us saying, and when does he say it? So when we go off the track. No, 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 come back. He'll tell us the way to go. And I don't know about you, but I emphatically believe that. I've had to believe that. I've been in a situation where there seemed no road at all. And there's times yesterday where there seemed no road at all. But I have to trust that God is going to say, no, this is the way you go. This is the way you go. He can do that in various ways, through other people, through his word, through something you're receiving, 
a coincidence. All those things are the voice of God that's saying, no, go this way, go that way. So even though they were willing to disobey him and they weren't listening, and, and this is where you have to cut yourself some slack. I'm not saying that it's okay to be a sloppy Christian. I'm not saying it's okay to just kind of get about it and not, you know, do your 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 spiritual exercises and to do due diligence with our with our faith. But it is to me very encouraging to know that Judah in full rebellion, in full rebellion, God was still desiring all they had to do was come to him and he would come around and he would teach them. You have to do it honestly and with your heart. But I don't know if when you get in hard times and you get in difficult times and you start thinking that God has left you and you start thinking that what happens, your mind goes right back to everything you ever did wrong. Every problem you ever had, every wrong statement, every wrong action, everything. I can't imagine, like I, the things that come to my mind uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's very important at that time to know that you can look at that because the enemy will bring it and you could say, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, I was that person. Yeah, and I did do that and think that. But isn't it beautiful to know that there's a God that says, don't worry, I got you covered. I have chosen to forgive you. I have chosen to forgive you. I have chosen to be your Lord. I have chosen to be your father, and I chose you to be my child. And there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that. Romans 8, there is nothing in heaven, on earth, in hell, anywhere in between that is going to come between us and the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And those scriptures become so important, and stories like this become so important because the only real weapon that the enemy has, well, he has a ton of them, but discouragement and to get us believing that we are not loved by God, that we are not loved by our Father, that we are no longer being led by him, we are no longer being carried by him, we are no longer being directed by him. If, if he can get us in that place, if the enemy can get us in that place, boy, he's got us. And it's so important at times like that that we remember stuff like this, that all it is is a turnaround and say, God, I'm coming back. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Repentance, turning away from an attitude, turning away from a belief, turning away from an action. That's all repentance is. It's not some big uh, blood-curdling, tear-filled. It can be tear-filled, but... It doesn't necessarily have to be. I think the best kind of repentance is a very sensible, concerted decision to say, I'm not going that way, I am going this way. You can do it with tears, you can do it with anger, you can do it with whatever you need, but as long as you do it. And I don't think there's ever a time where we're gonna stop needing to repent. I think repentance is a way of life and we shouldn't feel bad about it. We're in a broken, fallen down body that has the power of Jesus Christ in it through the Holy Spirit which is fighting against all that brokenness. And daily it will help us, remind us, give us a little clues, a little this, a little that, to help us to crucify that dead, 
man again every day. Paul said he did it every day. To rest, that word, I spent so much time trying to, it's so crazy. I spent so much time trying to understand what rest means. Well, what does rest mean? Well, let's go back to the Hebrew and let's see where it's used it 20 times. You know what it means? Rest. It, uh, that's what it means. Inactivity. And that's a very hard thing to do when you're, when you're being put under pressure. Jesus said, in this life, you will have pressure. That word, it says trouble, but the actual translation of that word means pressure. And it's very hard when you are under pressure not to do something. This is one of the most difficult things I've had to do in the last year, and it's still difficult. I'm learning how to do it, to just go, no, Keith, don't run screaming with your hair on fire. Don't call the prayer team. Don't just woe down. Just rest. Be still. And this too will pass. Quietness. Again, be at rest, peaceful, and quiet. These are, these are things that we will only do if we do have the Spirit of God in us and we have the scriptures to tell us how to do this. Like this is not a normal natural behavior at all. You will need the Holy Spirit to do this. And he'll give you the ability to do it. And finally, trust. To have certainty. In some translations, based on past experience. And sometimes you have past experiences that you can look back at and say, no, I know God's going to come through because he did over here. Sometimes the battle can be strong enough that you don't, you just go, I don't know about those. You can't even remember them because the fight here is so strong. It's just so strong. And you can't even think about that. You're just trying to figure out how you're going to get through this one. I know that experience. But to grab a hold of that, that trust, uh, Psalm 27 at the end of it, David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Meaning, while I'm alive, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. So, to wrap it up, and we always have to do some. No sense hearing the word of God without doing something. Is there something that you and I need to repent of? And I guarantee you there probably is something. It might be 20 years old. It might be two days old. Something that is just saying, God, I want to turn away from this. Remember, God gives us the strength to repent. He sees the will, our will, and then he gives the power. Is there something we need to leave with the Lord yet again? To just leave it. To just sit there on the beach and just leave it. Very hard thing to do. To not have your mind running and thinking of all the scenarios and all what's going to happen and why it's happening. Do we need God to help us trust for something again? That, that is like, don't feel bad about having to ask God to help you trust. To help you believe. That young, that father of that person being delivered he said, oh, Jesus, help me with my unbelief. God understands what we're made out of. And to have to ask God to help me trust again, Lord. You may have to, you may have to let go of something and trust, let go of something and trust. Like time and time and time again. That doesn't make you a failed saint. It makes you a 
follower of Jesus Christ who is trusting that yet again there's someone to put this with. What a blessing that is to at least be able to say, I, 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 I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to go to God and God is going to be. The ability to be able to go to God with all of our fumbling and stumbling, this is such a gift in itself. And do we need to learn how to rest and wait for God's deliverance and help? I think we'll always need to. We'll always need to learn how to do that. It's not an easy thing to do. So, Father, this morning, as we go over this wonderful example of how you love us, even in disobedience, your call that you want to be in our stress and in our struggles and in our battles, the idea that we can trust you, and this wonderful modern-day example of Dunkirk, where we see you intervening in ways that only you could have intervened, Father. I pray for that same miraculous intervention today, Father, as we sit here and we just think about something we might have to repent of, something we need to give to you, to learn how to trust again, how to sit on the beach of our experience and wait for your deliverance. I just pray, Holy Spirit, now that you speak to hearts, speak to our minds, speak to us, let us know, bring it up to our mind, bring it up to our consciousness. And as the Holy Spirit does that, just stand as a testament that you are just giving it to God again, that you are trusting God again. Father, I pray this morning around the issue of shame. Anyone with an issue of shame. Father, we just remember that Jesus took on our shame on the cross. Everything we're ashamed of, Jesus just took and put on himself and bore that so that we would not have to bear that. I pray for someone this morning who needs to forgive themselves, who needs to forgive themselves. And Father, as we stand here today, we stand giving you these things. We stand here knowing that you love us and that it is your desire to teach us which way to go, to the left or to the right. You said that we would hear your voice. So, Father, I pray for those needing to hear your voice this morning, that we would hear it. And as we step from this place today, we won't only just hear it here, but we'll hear it on Monday and Tuesday and through the whole week. We trust that you will walk with us and show us and, and help us wait. We're waiting for your deliverance. We're waiting for your help. We're waiting for your healing. We're waiting for your deliverance. We're waiting for your truth. So, Father, we, we just present ourselves in a posture of humility and just saying we are willing to yet wait again, trust again, repent again, and to hear your voice again. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Scripture is an amazing thing, isn't it? You know, this book is 3,000 years old, these writings. And here we are able to extrapolate from it very pertinent uh, truth and wisdom for today. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Um, we're going to take up an offering, then I want to uh, do some prayer for anybody. So we'll just take up the offering first, and then we'll have some prayer, individual prayer. And as you go, you'll find the signposts, you'll find what you need in order to make the decisions uh, that you need to make uh, in your life. The Lord will give you those things. They'll come. Uh, and Father, for those standing with heavy weights, like a heavy weight on them, uh, I just have a picture of Jesus coming alongside and, and helping you carry the weight uh, of the situation. Um, you would like that weight to be gone. You would like it to be off your back. But uh, the picture I'm seeing is Jesus coming and just helping you carry it for this period of time. And, Father, I pray for that person that they would be able to just have a peace about that and trust you with that and know that, uh, that in your strength, Father God, anything can be done. That through you, Christ, anything can be done and in your strength. So, Father, we just pray for that. But for those standing and believing for other people this morning, Father, we stand knowing that you hear these prayers. And we pray for those people that need prayer, that maybe don't even know you. But you're standing this morning praying and believing for somebody else. And, Father, we believe that that is effective prayer. And we're expecting to hear good things from that. And, Father, we just pray this morning. We just pray for your answers, for your guidance, for your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well.